Shalom and welcome to Shomer Mitzvot, Torah Observant, a series on practical messianic living and apologetics. I'm the author, Torah teacher Ariel ben Lyman Hanavi. Torah observance is a matter of the heart. It always has been and always will be. The Torah proper instructed the people of Israel to love Adonai your God with all your heart, with all your being, and with all your resources. This is where Shomer Mitzvot begins, by loving Hashem and accepting Him on His terms. By this, I mean accepting His means of covenant obedience. For today, this means acceptance of Yeshua, His only Son, for Jew and non-Jew alike. Shalom, shalom. You're listening to Exegeting Galatians, a Messianic Jewish commentary. My name is Ariel ben Lyman Hanavi. Let's open with a word of prayer. Avinu Malkinu, our Father, our King, Lord, we're thankful that uh, we have been invited into your presence. Uh, Lord, we know that um, every day that we get an opportunity to study Torah and to speak words of life is a, a wonderful opportunity that we should uh, look forward to. Um, as we are well aware, Lord, there are so many places in the world today that uh, where the Word of God is illegal. It's it's uh, it's not allowed to to read or to study or to preach the words. And so, what a privilege we have as as uh, believers living basically in free countries, uh, whether we live in America or in other uh, democracies around the world like I do. Um, uh, what an awesome responsibility and, and, and privilege to be able to open up the words and to preach and to study and to share with one another. Uh, Lord, I ask that you'll continue to bless us during this time. Give us a heart to do your will. Give us a mind to uh, focus on the words of the Master, the words of, of the Apostle Paul, uh, the words that have been left for us that in fact uh, dictate our very lifestyle. Um, Lord, we know that uh, the times are drawing uh, close to your soon return. Uh, Yeshua, we look forward with anticipation to you reestablishing your kingdom in righteousness here on this earth. And we know that uh, you have uh, made a place for us to rule and reign with you. So uh, we look forward to that. But in the meantime, Lord, we have been given this commission to take this good news to each and every person that we meet, um, give us a heart to to share the gospel. Give us uh, divine invitation. Uh, or I should say, divine opportunities uh, uh, to to speak with others. Give us a holy boldness to share our testimony with others. Uh, thank you for the festival of Hanukkah, even though it is behind us now. Uh, Lord, we're going to recite some blessings real quick in our liturgy section just to remind us of this time period that we've come through. We thank you that you have preserved us as a people of Israel, um, as a nation set apart by your name. Lord, even though uh, Israel does not uh, espoused faith in Messiah. Yet, nevertheless, uh, what do we read? The callings and uh, um, the the callings of Israel, the the the, the set apartness of Israel is is irrevocable. Um, you've not turned your back. You've not forsaken Israel. Uh, you've not given up on her, even if <clears throat> she perhaps 
has given up on you at times. So thank you, Lord, for preserving us and, and keeping us and uh, sustaining us. And thank you for the fellowship of Christians with Jews, with Israel, around the world. Uh, what an awesome partnership uh, that uh, and a witness to the rest of the world. We'll be careful, Lord, to give you the praise and glory for all of these wonderful things. B'Shem Yeshua. Thank you, everyone, for uh, joining us once again um, to a study of the, through the book of Galatians. My name is Ariel ben Lyman Hanavi. I'm a Torah teacher at Kehilat Tunava, which is Congregation to Harvest in Thornton, Colorado. I'd like to invite you out uh, to our services if you're ever, ever in the Colorado, Denver area, Thornton area, which is north of Denver. Uh, meet us at 1 p.m. on Sabbath and uh, come and worship with us and study Torah with us, okay? It's a congregation of Jews and Gentiles uh, worshiping Yeshua together. Let's date stamp our recording tonight. Today is uh, December 23rd, 2017, and we are in week 84 of our Galatians notes. Uh, For those of you who are listening to this podcast on iTunes or you're listening to it Uh, Maybe someone sent you a link to this recording and this is your first time listening. Just real quick, I'd like to invite you to study along with us. Uh, We're already in chapter 5 of the book of Galatians. We've been going for about two years. We meet from 7 p.m. to 8 p.m. Central Standard Time. And we meet on a 10-week-on, 2-week-off schedule for our semesters. So we're uh, we're almost halfway through another semester. Um, you can find all of the relevant information if you'd like to subscribe to the the teachings. They're free. Subscribe to the written notes, the, the show notes as we call them, the, the discussion uh, topic uh, that I send out each week by email. Um, go out to my website at www.tetzetorah.com, T-E-T-Z-E-T-O-R-A-H, Dot com and right on the home page click on the Galatians commentary link and you'll find all the relevant information there so that you can uh, keep following along with the podcast and keep up with the commentary the entire written commentary there is there about 200 pages or so if you'd like to download it PDF document print it out whatnot so um, if you'd like to join us each week live we meet via Skype so you just need some type of electronic device that has access to the internet, internet, you know, uh, desktop computer, laptop, tablet, iPad, smartphone, iPhone, Android phone, all of those things. Anything that can get Skype and has internet access. And just follow the information that's available on my website there to join the Skype classes each week. Okay, without further ado, let's... Um, jump into the liturgy for those of you who are with me live in the class tonight uh, you can see on my screen just real quick i've got the hebrewchristians.com website pulled up and i've got some hanukkah blessings i should have read these last week or maybe even the week prior but hanukkah is behind us now and uh i just wanted to give a, a a closing blessing just three quick blessings real quick as we close out hanukkah for 2017 um if you look at the screen i'm just going to read um three uh, separate blessings one the first one i'll read is the traditional rabbinical um candle lighting blessing which probably if you were att- uh celebrating hanukkah this year then you were probably reading this blessing uh, probably every night that you lit a new candle but it reads um blessed are you lord our god king of the universe who sanctifies us with thy commandments and commanded us to kindle the lights of hanukkah 
the Hebrew reads Baruchata Adonai Lochinu Melacha Olama Shir Kitshanu B'mitzvotai V'tzivanu Lahadlik Ner Shelsh Chanukah. And of course, some Christians and Messianics have a problem with that phrase, commanded us to kindle the lights of Hanukkah, because there's nowhere in the Torah that God commanded us to kindle the lights of Hanukkah. That's an entirely rabbinic decree. So, uh, being aware of the sensitivity of that, this website, uh, Hebrew for Christians, includes what we might call a messianic version of that, where it takes out this idea of the, the rabbis commanding us to light the 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 Hanukkah, and instead insert some words about Yeshua. And this one reads, Blessed are you, Lord, our God, King of the universe, who has given to us holidays, customs, and seasons for gladness, for the glory of Yeshua the Messiah, our Lord, the light of the world. That's a little kind of a nicer um, messianic version that we could say over lighting our candles instead of giving credence to the rabbis. The Hebrew is Hamashiach and then the last two blessings, real quick, the the traditional Sha'asanisim uh, blessing, which is a blessing uh, recognizing the miracles that took place uh, during those days of Hanukkah. It reads, "Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the Universe, who performed miracles for our fathers in those days." At this time, of course, this is also a, a traditional song that you can uh, listen to during this time of year as well. Uh, the Hebrew reads, Baruch atah Adonai lochenu melcha olam she'asa nisim la'avotenu bayamim ha'hem bazman ha'zeh. And then the final blessing is the Shehechayanu blessing that we're all so familiar with uh, during Hanukkah. Again, this one has been preserved as not only a blessing but as a song. Uh, so some of you probably know the tune. Um, the English reads, uh, Blessed are you, Lord our God, Master of the universe, or King of the universe, who's kept us alive and sustained us and has brought us to this special time. Of course, this means a lot when you are when you identify with Israel, when you consider the fact that Israel as a people has been persecuted over and over again, and the surrounding people groups have repeatedly tried to destroy Israel as a people group, and yet time and time again, God has preserved Israel, God has kept her, God has sustained her, and brought her to this special time. So that's where kind of the, the meat of that blessing comes into place. Uh, and that's all we're going to read for the Hanukkah blessings. For the additional liturgy, just for the Bible, the, 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 out of the uh, Tanakh, since we're going to be talking about Torah observance and walking by the Spirit tonight, I want to read... Um, just one passage out of the book of Ezekiel. This is a familiar um, passage we've used time and time again as we studied the book of Galatians and because of its relevance to our theology uh, as messianics, the way we understand uh, the theology of Paul, it becomes relevant to our study tonight. And I'll, I'll explain that later, but let me read the liturgy real quick. Just, I'll skip down uh, Ezekiel 36 and I'll skip down to verse... Um, I'm just going to read two verses, verse 26 and 27, because that's kind of the meat of what we're going to be talking about tonight. Verse 26 out of the ESV reads, And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. 
And then verse 27 says, And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. And the Hebrew of that same verses reads, uh, starting in verse 26, attain the et and then verse 7, uh, I'm sorry, verse 27 in Hebrew reads, Ve'et ruchi etain b'chirbechem va'asiti et asher b'chuchai te'lechu u'mishpatai tishmuru va'asitem. And we've uh, noticed in the past, as I've look, highlighted some of the Hebrew words I want to do again this time, just real quick, if you look at verse 27 where God says, I'll put my spirit within you and cause you to walk, it's interesting that we could actually just take the verse there, those first few, the first clause just before the paragraph, just before the comma, and we could actually um, uh, kind of build a theology just in that first clause where God says, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk. Stop. We could put a period right there and the verse would would really actually line up 100% with what we're going to read here in a moment out of the book of Galatians and where Paul uh, talks about walking by the spirit. God says to Israel, speaking of a future prophecy, I, God, speaking to collective Israel, will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk. Well, what would that mean? That means that God is going to cause Israel to walk by the Spirit, right? He puts his Spirit within Israel and causes her to walk. So that's interesting that, uh, the, the, the uh, you know, causing you to walk in my statutes and being careful to obey my rules is just a byproduct of walking by the Spirit. It's the fruit of walking in the Spirit. Um, being careful to obey my rules, walking in his statutes, and things like that. Uh, and we're going to talk about that tonight. And I just wanted to highlight that for you because it's found right here in the pages of the Tanakh. And that's something I think many Bible students often gloss over. And I'm guilty of doing that too. So I'm not just trying to point out uh, faults in other people without recognizing my own faults first. I grew up just glossing over the verse, these verses, reading over them, not really realizing what they're saying. Okay, let's turn now to the book of Galatians and look at the liturgy from chapter 5. Uh, this will be a short read as well, just uh, five or six verses or so. We'll read verse 13 through verse 17. So what is that? Five verses? 13, 14, 15, 16, 17. And those are the, that's the section we're going to study tonight in our uh, commentary. Verse 13 reads out of the ESV, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Verse 14, For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Verse 15, but if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. And then Paul starts into this section that most Bibles uh, recognize is a, a new uh, section break, uh, a topic that he's introducing, but I've, I've decided to, we're going to study it tonight in, a, in, uh, in conjunction with the few verses we just read. But basically verses 16 through the rest of the uh, chapter here is this whole idea of keeping a step or walking with the walking by the spirit. But we're going to take a, a look at this tonight anyway. Verse sixteen. But I say, walk by the spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And then verse seventeen. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, 
and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. And we'll stop right there with the, with the liturgy reading. Uh, next week we'll be ready to pick up verse 18, which is going to be a little longer discussion about where Paul says, but if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. And of course, since this introduces this phrase, under the law, this is where there's a, a big disagreement between uh, traditional Christian theology on this for, on under the law and uh, standard Messianic theology on under the law. So verse 18 will start a brand new topic next week on this whole discussion of what does it mean to be under the law and things like that. All right, so let's go back and look at the um, verses 13 through 17 in the Greek. Um, we're using the, the SBLG and T version, and I'm using BibleHub.com's interlinear version so that you can follow along uh, that way. Verse 13 starts out, Hemes gar ep lutheria ecclethete adelphoi manon me tain eleutherian ace a formain te sarki ala dia tes agapes duluete ale lois verse 14 ho garpas namas in heni lago peplerotai ento agapeses tan plesian su hos sutan verse 15 E de alelus dacnete kai catestiete blepete mehup alelon analothete. And then starting in this news news section, uh, verse 16, Lego de punumati perapatete kai epithumian sarcas u me telesete. Verse 17, He garsarx epithume kata tu punumatas to de pnumakata tes sarakas tauta gar alelois antiketai antiketai hina meha in thelete tauta poete and we'll stop right there with the greek reading all right uh last week we did not even touch the galatians notes um we went off into kind of an excursus on this idea of all israel has a place or a share in the world to come. This familiar maxim from the rabbinic literature found in Sanhedrin 10.1 or Sanhedrin Folio 90, I think it's 98 or 95, one of the two. And um, the the Judaisms of of yesteryear, the Judaisms of Paul's day, the first century Jews, had um, basically come to a, a, a general consensus among most of the sects of Judaism of that day. They had come to a, a, a somewhat of a general uh, consensus of the status of Gentiles within their own ranks, within their communities. And that's what we talked about last week, and I found that to be a very helpful background check in order to understand the book of Galatians. So just to create the segue from last week into this week, I'll take five minutes real quick to... Um, remind us of that theology, and in my opinion, it goes a long way towards um, challenging prevailing views on not only Paul's uh, Judaism, uh, but it impacts how we uh, walk out the Torah or how we attempt to interact with the Torah as believers in a 21st century. Right. So um, basically, the the reason we were talking about this verse is because the last verse in my commentary that we talked about is actually verse 11, where Paul says, But if I, brother, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? 
in that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. And we already talked about how that in traditional Christian um, interpretations of this verse, right, the historical or classical view of the book of Galatians basically believes that Paul is, is uprooting Judaism in favor of a new religion called Christianity. Paul is essentially warning uh, both Gentiles and Jews in Christ that they need to steer clear of any semblance of Torah observance. They need to um, remove uh, Torah keeping from their communities. In, in, in a word, we need to turn away from that which was the old way of the old dispensation and, and embrace what God is now doing in this new age, this new dispensation. I suppose the word new age isn't really the best word, really, right? But in this new um, era where God is is bringing the light of Messiah to dawn upon humanity. I'm speaking as if I'm Paul, and I'm speaking from a, from a, a traditional Christian mindset. But basically, when Paul says, if I'm still preaching circumcision, this would be Paul's confession that he's no longer holding to uh, physical circumcision in, in, the, in the traditional classical Christian sense of the word. Uh, Paul no longer upholds circumcision for, for Jews or for Gentiles. Uh, therefore, it's no longer necessary to uh, concern yourself with this as a Christian. Um, let's move on past that. Let's move on into this new program where we're walking by the Spirit, where we're where our lives are dictated by the law of Christ and not by the law of Moses. The law of Moses is the bygone era. It's, it's, it's that which has been fulfilled in Messiah. It's been, therefore, nailed to the cross. It's been set aside. It's been, it's been relaxed in Jesus so that we can now um, walk according to the Spirit, so we can now know a freedom that we never knew before. The Torah is bondage, and walking in the Spirit is freedom. Uh, circumcision is bondage. Uh, circumcision of the flesh is bondage, but circumcision of the spirit is freedom. So we have this uh, strong contrast between the law and grace, or the law and faith. Uh, these are terms that you're going to find in Christian commentaries. So basically, verse 11 is Paul saying, I'm no longer preaching Torah. Uh, and that's why we moved from uh, that verse into, we skipped verse 12, and went straight in, and we're going to go straight into verse 13. But the background needed to understand, uh, in my opinion, the better historical view of Paul is uh, what we talked about last week. So go back and pick up last week's um, commentary, week 83, in the uh, podcast, and you'll understand what I'm trying to talk about. Uh, basically, again, just as a summary, I'll take two minutes to do this. Um, we looked at heavily at uh, this idea of the first century um, historical... Uh, um, no, some some of the history that helped us to understand um, prep us for moving into the to the, the, the age and the times when Paul and Yeshua and the writings of the disciples, uh, the, I'm sorry, the writings of Paul and the, the actions of the disciples would be predominantly in view. Um, t- uh, what was it? Uh, Rick Spurlock's BereansOnline.org commentary served us very well last week. Uh, if you don't know about Rick Spurlock, he's a Messianic teacher who teaches from a pro-Torah perspective, which means he's going to agree with keeping Torah as a Christian and as a Messianic. Um, we also looked at, in fact, in case you're in my uh, class with me tonight, look on the screen, you'll see that he talks about how that uh, many scholars and Bible students read Acts 15 and the Epistle to the Galatians and assume that Scripture is all we need to understand the issues of those passages. And uh, he talks about how that 
it's really important that if we want to understand the scriptures, we've actually got to go back and read history. And one of the historical events that helps to drive a, a, a maybe a better understanding of Paul's Judaisms is that in um, in that day there were factions of Judaisms, particularly in the Pharisees. There were two main factions of Pharisees. You probably don't catch this when you read through the Book of Acts or the book you know, read through the, the, the Gospels, but um, nevertheless, if you go back through history, you'll find them. For instance, just go to the JewishEncyclopedia.com and you can pick it up there. But there were two factions of Judaism, main factions, uh, that I wanted to bring uh, out last week. Those, those were the, the, the house or school of Hillel and the house or school of Shammai, so house, uh, the Hebrew being Bet or Beit. So we have Beit Hillel and Beit Shammai, and these two factions often opposed one another in their halacha, Shammai being the more strict, Hillel being the more lenient of the two. And um, unfortunately, uh, what we learned last week was that probably around 20 BCE and and uh, uh, um, what is it? Uh, Sterlo, uh, Spurlock brings this out in his writings, but around 20 BCE, right? So this is well before Paul. The Pharisees and the, uh, the not the Pharisees and the Sadducees, but the Pharisees, those two factions, the the Hillelites and the Shemaiites, these two Pharisaic groups got together, and there was this unfortunate meeting that took place. I say unfortunate because there was supposed to be a discussion uh, over this sharply divided opinion of how do Gentiles fit in in terms of ritual impurity within the Jewish ranks. What do we do about the Gentiles because of their their association with, with idolatry and their ritual impurity? And they, they got together around 20 CE and had this meeting. And in this meeting, there was this unfortunate event that took place. You can read about this in the Talmud as well. Um, there were these 18 edicts or measures or or uh, rulings that were discussed and and uh, during that time, and most of it centered around, like I said, laws of purity, purity laws and things like that. But the part that, that helps us to understand the book of the Galatians is that at that meeting, the the more strict Shemaiites, right, the house of Shemai, their ruling prevailed. Uh, and as a result of that ruling in the 20s, um, 20 BCE, as a result of that ruling, uh, the view of Gentiles in the, within the Jewish community was even more restrictive to the point that um, there was a heavily, heavily uh, pros- heavy proselytizing um, policies that were implemented, basically. So the bottom line is, uh, when we get to reading through Paul, and we, we, and we know we're, we're dealing with Paul interacting with Gentiles and Jews, right? Because he's talking about Gentile Christians as they interact with Jewish communities of their day. You have to remember from history that there were no Christian churches per se. There was no Catholic cathedrals, First Baptist Church on the corner, etc., etc. In the first century, um, there was the Jewish community, and then there were the pagan temples and things like that around them. And there were small home groups that were forming here and there. Obviously, um, if you weren't close enough to Jerusalem to to visit the main temple and the and the and the larger synagogues, then you lived in the diaspora and you and you lived you interacted with the Jewish communities at the diaspora level if you were a Gentile, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But the point that's important for us as we started the book of Galatians is that Paul is going to have to navigate through the prevailing Jewish opinions on Gentiles in his day and the policies that were. Um, 
implemented during that meeting around 20 BCE uh, were strongly in favor of keeping Gentiles at an arm's distance from the Jewish community because of the impurities that Gentiles supposedly brought into the community. And uh, this probably helps us to understand why uh, there was a stronger push for Gentiles needing to become proselyte Jews if they wish to join the Jewish communities. This helps us to understand this whole concept of uh, an idea of of setting up a, a set of rules that would that would turn a Gentile into a Jew, so that we we as Jews could feel more comfortable with knowing that they have been kind of purged of their of their filth of their uncleanness as they went from Gentile into Jewish. And then using the Torah as this tool of to to maintain the covenant membership that's gained once they go through this proselyte uh, ritual. So all of that is very very important background information, uh, in my opinion, needed to study through the book of Galatians, and it helps us to understand that uh, Paul had his really had his hands full uh, dealing with this this theology in his day, and of course. The big problem, as as it impacts us today, in in case you're not catching it, is that the gospel of Messiah cuts across the the boundaries of ethnicities: Jew, Gentile, male, free, slave, male, female, slave, and free. The 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 gospel kind of levels all of that out. It 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 causes us to realize as humans that we are all in need of forgiveness that we are all in need of cleansing because we all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God we read in the Torah. And we know then that whether we're Jewish or Gentile, in God's eyes, without the the cleansing power of the Messiah's blood and without the filling of his spirit, we cannot hope to actually be righteous on a level that God uh, invites us to. In other words, recall what God spoke through the prophets in Ezekiel than we read in our liturgy there, God giving them a new heart, God cleansing them, causing them to walk in his ways. It, these are, these are uh, ideals that are impossible without God's direct intervention. And so what Paul realized after he became a Messianic Jew is that it's not by changing one's ethnicity that one is brought into the community of the righteous. In other words, one does not get into the family of God by changing his uh, ethnicity from Gentile to Jewish, rather, it is by changing one's heart from a stony heart to a heart of flesh. That is how one becomes a genuine, righteous member of God's community. In other words, by placing one's faith in Messiah, then one is brought into the family of the righteous, or into the family of God, or joins the the, the, the genuine community of the righteous. Right. So that is where Paul's theology begins to shift, and Paul begins to realize he's got to explain this change, or this, this understanding, uh, to the Gentiles who were seeking to become righteous in that first century community. These Gentiles were 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 seeking after God, and they were uh, reading. They were they were attending the synagogues. They were they were walking into the footsteps of what we might call the righteous Gentile of that day, the God fearer, right? And um, they were seeking the blessings of God. And unfortunately, the only theological answer that was being presented to them was uh, basically God only has excuse me. God only has one elect. God only has one body of redeemed people. And historically, that is Israel. There was only one group of people that was brought to the foot of Sinai, and God cut a covenant with them. And the covenant 
is uh, at Sinai is built upon the covenant that God established with Papa Abraham way back in Genesis 12 through, say, 22. Those chapters where we read about uh, circum- physical circumcision and uh, God blessing Abraham and, and things like that. So basically, the Gentiles were were faced with the very real possibility that if they wanted to be recognized as righteous by the Jewish authorities of their day, they had to undergo the proselyte conversion ceremony that had been invented by the rabbis of that day, the proto-rabbis. So that's how we pick up, that's where we pick up the context to the book of Galatians. And so it is with that, that's how we can understand Paul saying, if I'm still preaching circumcision in verse 11 of chapter 5, him saying, if I'm still preaching that Gentiles have to become Jews in order to become as righteous, and if I'm still preaching that Gentiles are righteous because of their physical circumcision, that is to say, if I'm still preaching that covenant membership is based upon physical circumcision, uh, then the cross of Christ is really has lost its power. It's lost its r- relevance for me because basically salvation can be attained by the flesh. It can be ta- attained by human effort. And uh, that's basically how I interpret verse 11 of chapter 5. It's from there we move into this chapter 13. Let's talk now about uh, this idea, this continuing idea of keeping Torah or Torah relevance within the lives of community members, right? How would Paul have, have sought to interact with, with um, keeping Torah or walking by the Spirit? How do those two fit together or do they, right? Um, when we go back and look at uh, Ezekiel, God says in verse 27 of chapter 36, I, God, will put my Spirit within you, Israel, and cause you, Israel, to walk in my God's statutes and be careful to obey my God's rules. So this is very unambiguous. God gives Israel a new spirit, a new heart and a new spirit. He cleanses them. He puts his spirit within them. And the result of this, we can see this very easily, is that Israel walks in God's statutes and is careful to obey his rules. Notice that being filled with the spirit or the spirit on the inside produces an outward effect. And it is within the context of that that I want to talk about verses 13, 14, skip verse 15, and then jump straight into verse 16 and 17 tonight. I'm going to do a lot of heavy reading tonight. I probably won't need to stop and explain it as much. I think it's self-explanatory. And I think that will take us to the top of the hour. I think I can do this in 20 minutes, okay? Ready? Here we go. If you've got the written commentary with me tonight, we are on near the bottom of page 164, starting in verse 13. Chapter 5, verse 13 reads, For you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. All right, here's my comments. The place of Torah in the life of ancient Israel functioned to set the people apart from the world in service to the one true God of the universe. I think that's self-explanatory. Don't really have to um, uh, flesh that out too much. As the people engaged in the righteous activities of the Torah lifestyle that God gave him, God gave them, the surrounding people groups would actually have an opportunity to see and understand that God was close to his people as they called upon him and that this people group was wise and that God's statutes and ordinances were righteous. 
Now, let's read a verse out of the Tanakh that substantiates what I, what I just explained there in my comments. Let's read from Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 5 through 8. We're going to choose the uh, Jewish Publication Society 1917 version, so the 100-year-old version that the, the, the Jewish people have um, put together here. It reads this way, quote, Behold, I, this is God, this is Moshe speaking of God's Torah. Behold, I have taught you statutes and ordinances, even as the Lord my God commanded me, that ye should do so in the midst of the land whither ye go in to possess it. So Moshe is addressing Israel. He continues, Observe therefore and do them. For this is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples, that when they hear all these statutes, right, the doing of them, the commandments, when they hear, when the people groups hear all these statutes, the people shall say, now listen up, as Moshe puts words in the mouths of the surrounding people groups, the people surrounding Israel, as they watch and observe Israel keeping God's commandments. Listen up. Here's what the people will say. Surely this great nation, speaking of Israel, surely this great nation of Israel is a wise and understanding people. End quote. Wow, isn't that a fantastic say, statement, right? The surrounding people groups, Moshe imagines, are going to look at Israel, keeping the commandments, and say, wow, this is a great and wise nation. They have a great understanding. All right, Moshe continues. And then Moshe speaks... Um, in his own words, he mixes his own words with, I think, still the, the continuing sentiments of the surrounding nations, but primarily he's speaking as, a, as an Israelite now. Moshe says, For what great nation is there that hath God so nigh unto them as the Lord our God is, when and whensoever we call upon him? Right? That's Moshe reflecting on his position as an Israelite and the privilege of being the elect of God, right? The Amsugalah, the treasured possession of God. What great nation is there out there like the nation of Israel that God has uh, has become close to us and that we can call upon God whenever we need him? And, Moshe continues, what great nation is there that hath statutes and ordinances so righteous as all this law which I set before you this day? Right, of course, it's it's a question that Moshe doesn't need answering because he already knows the answer. There is no other nation that has statutes and ordinances so righteous as God's statutes and ordinances, because there is no God like God. Therefore, there are no statutes and ordinances quite like God. Oh yes, other nations and countries have their own laws and statutes and, and rules, but only God's statutes and rules are as righteous as he can get. They're the highest of all standards, because God is the highest. There's no, no other God but God. And so Moshe is recognizing that. So that's what he has to say in Deuteronomy chapter 4. I like to call that the Jewish Great Commission, so um, or Israel's Great Commission. Now, we're on the top of page 165. I know what most of you are thinking right now. As I read my commentary, it says, Ariel, what does this have to do with Paul explaining to his readers that they were called to be free? Right? What does that have to do with the verse we just read? Ah, listen up and I'll explain it. If Paul believed that his Gentile audience was genuinely grafted into Israel via faith the Messiah, Yeshua, and of course, 
If that's new to you, this grafting of Gentiles into Jews, go back and read Ephesians chapter 2 and also couple that with a reading of Romans chapter 11 where Paul's olive tree theology is front and center and he talks about the wild olive branches being grafted into a cultivated olive tree, right? And who are the wild olive branches? They're the Gentiles. And who is the cultivated olive tree? It's the family of Abraham, the the, the visible people group of God known as uh, the offspring of Abraham, a.k.a. Israel. And the Gentiles, in fact, leave their position as um, wild olive branches and they get grafted or included among the community of, of Israel. Uh, the commonwealth of Israel is the language that we read about in Ephesians chapter 2. So, so that's what I mean. Paul believes this, that his Gentile audience was genuinely grafted into Israel via faith in Messiah Yeshua. And I might add, not just grafted into larger Israel, but grafted directly to the messianic element of Israel in other words grafted into the believing community of Israel not grafted into the not grafted into Israel at large in other words gentile believers are not grafted directly to uh the unbelieving Jewish community but rather or unbelieving uh, Israel they're grafted directly into the believing community all right that's important as well so if this is what Paul believed then Israel's grand call of old Israel's grand call actually became they the Gentiles' grand call as well. Understand what I mean? Israel's history now became the Gentiles' history. And that's what's the impor- that's the important part I'm trying to highlight as I went back and read that passage out of the book of Deuteronomy. Let's keep reading my notes here. First century Israel viewed the Torah as a community privilege. This is so important, uh, uh uh, people, as you listen to my commentaries, as you're trying to get into the mindset of the first century Jews, um, it's unfortunate that the caricature that's created by later Christian communities as they interacted with the Bible and sought to understand um, the, the Jews and, and Israel of first century, it's unfortunate that the, that the stereotypical caricature that's created by later Christian commentaries and commentators is that of a um, a people group who is so stubbornly uh, stiff-necked and legalistic and um, uh, unloving and uncaring and just uses the Torah as a simplistic grocery list or ladder to heaven, uh, it's unfortunate that it's hard to to even uh, uh, interact with Israel and, and have any compassion for them as a people group when you, when you consider that they're just this stubborn, stiff-necked, wayward, backwards people who can't even understand their own scriptures uh, past the point of of uh, legalistically wielding it as some simplistic merit theology tool that attains righteousness and salvation for them. And this, I think, is an unfortunate, again, stereotype, or it's a, it's a it's a Christian bias that's 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 read back into the text. It's a it's a prejudice, I think. It's an anti-Torah prejudice. It it comes off uh, sometimes as kind of an anti-Jewish prejudice and almost an anti-Semitic prejudice. Um, it's quite offensive uh, to many Jews, myself included. Um, so uh, consider that that Israel of old, and this today, today too, if you, if you ever have a chance to sit down and have a, have a, a well-meaning talk with, a, with a, a, a religious rabbi or with a religious Jew, here's what you're going to find. In my commentary, I say it this way, first century Israel viewed the Torah as a community privilege. They still do today. It's a God-given responsibility meant to be carried out by every, quote, good Jew, end quote, since he bore the humble task of representing the image of the divine, quote, in the sight of all the other peoples, end quote, of the earth. 
right? Recall Moshe's words from Deuteronomy above. Israel of old, as well as Israel today, realizes that the Torah is a privilege and that having God's words in your midst is, is a special place, right? There's no other people group that God set a, created a covenant with like the people of Israel. He knew no other people. God only has one bride, and it is Israel. This means that we must find the church, by the way of theology, the church must find herself somewhere within the bride of God known as Israel. Otherwise, we make God out to be a polygamist with two brides. He has Israel as one bride, and then he has the, 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 the Christian church as a second bride or something like that, something crazy. God ends up with two brides, two women. We know that's not the case. So theologically speaking, es- uh, ecclesiologically speaking, God, uh, God only has one bride, and that bride is Israel. Therefore, the eternal bride of God being Israel must mean that um, the, the body of Messiah, the Christian church, must somehow be included in that phrase Israel when we're talking about God's bride. So the, the bride of God has the words of God, and what a privilege to have the very words of God in our midst. This is a a, 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 a delightful privilege. It's, it's, it's something that we celebrate during Simchat Torah, right? Rejoicing in this privilege of having God's words. And in fact, when you visit a Messianic congregation, this is the sentiment that you're going to find, right? Is that the Torah is a, is a, a, a special treasure you know it is god's words oh today if we would if we as christians could get back to this mindset that god's words are precious that god's words all of them from genesis to revelation are the very words of god breathed out and they are precious to us and we should uphold them and hide them in our heart and study them and meditate on them and memorize them and share them with others amen amen so First century Israel already viewed the Torah as a privileged, and they realized that it was their their humble responsibility to walk out the Torah to represent God's name and God's ways in in the sight of all the other people groups. So I say in my commentary what the average modern Christian often overlooks as they read about the law in their Sunday school textbooks is that this is that the central tenet of God's Torah was actually love God with all your heart, soul, and strength. That is the meat of the Torah. That's the central tenet of the Torah. And the second, love your neighbor as yourself, is is connected to that. So these are the two branches, the two main pillars of the Torah, of God's word. Love God with all your heart, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, we know that this is the case. We can go back and read that in various places of the Torah, and we're going to talk about this tonight in our study. Too often, all the modern uh, church Bible student sees in the law is, quote, thou shalt, end quote, and, quote, thou shalt not, end quote. That's, that's, Basically, how your your garden variety believer, Gentile Christian, interacts with the Old Testament. Thou shalt and thou shalt not. It's kind of a stodgy set of rules. They forget, and I'm trying not to be too harsh when I talk about traditional Christians, but you guys have to remember, I'm 50 years old, and for half my life, I lived it as a traditional Christian, as a Baptist, as an independent fundamental Baptist, right? A more strict branch of, of Baptist. And so I'm, I'm fairly comfortable with describing 
um, average Christian sentiments when it comes to Torah, not because I'm trying to slam Christian theology, not because I'm trying to denigrate uh, Christians as a whole, but rather I'm simply trying to make us aware that these are some of the thoughts and, and, and theologies and ideologies that float around in, in Christian circles, and I think they are dangerous ones. So what do I have to say? The, the, um, too often, all the modern Christian church, I say in my notes here, the modern church Bible student sees the law as thou shalt and thou shalt not, and they forget that the Tanakh, right, the Old Testament, commanded Israel to have circumcised hearts so that they could, in fact, love uh, love and obey God with a genuine heart of faith and subsequently love their neighbors the way they should. Look at footnote number 155 in my commentary. It points to Deuteronomy 10:16, where God talks about circumcise your hearts, as well as Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 6. Again, God talks about circumcision of the heart, and this is coupled with Jeremiah 4:4, 4, 4, where we also read about circumcision of the heart. So, in case you weren't aware of it, the New Testament quote-unquote the New Testament feature of circumcision of the heart is actually an Old Testament feature. Okay? So, God wasn't explaining anything new. He's just um, uh, realizing that circumcision of the heart can only take place when one uh, places their unreserved faith in Yeshua the Messiah. Let's keep reading. So, genuine freedom, I go on to say in my commentary starting right here, genuine freedom in Christ, like we just read about in uh, Galatians 5.13 here, genuine freedom in Christ is freedom from the bondage of flesh and freedom to walk into Torah obedience. Uh, the, 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 the freedom to walk into Torah obedience, of course, empowered by the Ruach HaKodesh. Now, this is the freedom that Paul has already been explaining starting as early as gen, as uh, uh, the beginning of the chapter here. Chapter 1, if we were to look at it just briefly, of Galatians chapter 5, what did Paul say? For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to yoke of slavery. So we know that the freedom, the genuine freedom that, that Paul is describing is a freedom not just from ourself, right, our old nature, our old proclivities, our old propensities, our old hang-ups and hold-ups and headaches and heartaches, but it's a freedom from the um, uh, the punishment that the Torah pronounces against unrepentant, unregenerate sinners. It's a freedom from the curse of the law. It's a freedom from the old uh, ideologies of the world. It's a freedom from the superstitions of the nations around us that we are steeped in before we came to the light of Messiah. So, Genuine freedom is genuine indeed. What does Yeshua say? If the Son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. He who the Son frees is is free indeed. And so the only freedom that's available from Paul's perspective, from a biblical perspective, is the freedom that's offered in Messiah. Anything outside of that is not genuine freedom. So Paul would have his Gentile Galatians understand that unless they continue on through and make good on their claim to believe in Yeshua and 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 continue to to uh, hold on to this 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 um outpouring of the spirit in their community and and go on to uh persevere as as believers, right? And, and continue to claim that Yeshua is the Messiah as long as they don't abort that race, as long as they continue to run that race under the power of the Spirit, then they will continue to walk in the genuine freedom that's afforded to them as believers in Messiah. If they, in fact, shrink back, 
right? If they if they abort that race, if they if they drop out of the race, if they fail to persevere, I'm not saying they would lose their salvation, but I'm talking about those who have not yet actually even made a, a, a genuine a decision, right? People who are still kind of in decision mode. If if they fail to 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 matriculate and graduate towards genuine salvation to the moment of salvation is birthed within them, then these Gentiles run the risk of falling back into a mindset that is controlled not only by their old nature as Gentiles, right, as pagans, but within a Jewish worldview, a Jewish community, a social perspective, they would be heavily influenced by the theology of the Judaizers or the influencers that taught that uh, righteousness is dictated by one's ethnicity. And that, in fact, is not freedom. That mindset is bondage. You understand what I'm saying? To wield the Torah as an ethnic boundary is bondage. To suppose that righteousness is is um, uh, secured by one's becoming a Jew and then maintenancing the Torah or keeping a certain set of rules, you know, the works of the law and things like that. That's all bondage. All that mindset is 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 flesh again. It's it's not freedom. It's bondage. And we're going to read more about that as we keep uh, reading my commentary. So. Um, uh, I go on to say in my commentary, this is the point I'm trying to make by reminding us about Israel's responsibilities to love God, to love their neighbors, and to be a light to the surrounding nations like we read about in Deuteronomy chapter 4. The point I'm stressing, I say in my notes, is that like Israel of old, right, like 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 um, ethnic Israel of old, Paul did not expect his Gentile readers to be able, I'm sorry, Paul, yeah, Paul did not expect his, his Gentile readers to be able to embrace freedom and resist indulging the sinful nature under their own power. You get that? Go back and look at it in uh, Ezekiel again. God says, I, in verse 27 of chapter 36, I will put my spirit within you. I will do this. In fact, if we were to go back and look up at the previous verses, uh, starting in verse um, 22, God says, I'm the one that's about to act. In verse 23, he says, I will vindicate the holiness. In um, uh, 24, he says, I will take you from the nations and gather you. In 25, he says, I will sprinkle clean water on you. And later on in verse 25, he says, I will cleanse you. And then in 26, he says, I will give you a new heart and new spirit. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh. And then in verse 27, I will put my spirit within you. Right? So who's doing this? Who is doing this this wonderful monergistic work? Who is the one who's who's beginning this this new work within the heart of a person, whether he be Jew or Gentile? It is God Himself. It's the Spirit of God doing all the work. So Paul needs to, the the readers to understand that same point, right? Uh, they can't walk in freedom and into Torah obedience under the power of their own flesh. They have to do it empowered by the Ruach Kodesh, by the power of the Spirit. This is the point I'm trying to make. This is the point I'm stressing, right? God expected Israel not to be able to keep the Torah under the power of their own flesh, but only under the power of the Spirit of God himself. So, he also knew that unless they surrendered to the Spirit of God, they would always have a heart of stone and that they would always resist the Spirit of God. They would continually resist the words of God. They, in fact, would bite and devour one another and just, and, and actually, in the end, destroy one another. And we're going to read about that here in, later on in the book of Galatians. But um, I, in, my, in my notes, I say it this way. Paul urged them, his Gentile Christian readership, he urged them to serve one another in love, 
serve one another in love. Indeed, as Paul's going to state forthrightly in the very next verse, serving one another in love is tantamount to fulfilling the true intentions of the Torah. And this type of love can only be done as we live by the Spirit of God, right? This is good theology. This is a good place to say amen. And this brings us to the next verse and to my next comment. Okay, so let's talk about this idea of love and the fulfillment of the Torah. We know that love is the greatest. We read about that in, in the great love chapter, 1 Corinthians, right? You know, and now by the faith, hope, love. These three, but the greatest of these is what? It's not faith. It's not, you know, now by the faith, uh, now abideth faith, hope, love, but the greatest of these is love, Paul says in 1 Corinthians. I, I think I'm getting the verse right there. Suddenly I've had a, a brain freeze. Is that what the verse is saying? I'm pretty sure that's what it says. I know he says the greatest of these is love. I'm out of abideth faith, hope, and love. I think that's how it's, that's how it's rendered in the KJV. So let's read about this. Uh, right now we're in verse 14. Uh, chapter 5, verse 14. For the whole law right, is fulfilled in one word. And what is that one word? You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Wow. That's, an, that's, an, that's a, a, a theologically charged statement. Let's, let's talk about that for a moment. Here's what I have to say. If Paul thought that the Torah was done away with in Yeshua as the prevailing Christian interpretation would have us to believe, then how in the world is it also fulfilled or summarized in a single command to love our neighbor as ourself? We, right, we say the whole law is fulfilled. Um, when we look at uh, verse 14 out of the Greek, um, he says, for the entire law in one word is fulfilled. This Greek word here, is uh, similar to a word that we would find in uh, Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse, uh, I think it's verse 17, where Jesus says, Think not that I came to destroy the law. I did not come to destroy, but to fill in the blank fulfill. And the word there, fulfill, is a, a, a rendering, a sa- it's rooted in the same Greek word that we read here in Paul. Pleurotai in Paul corresponds with, I think it's pleurosai in, um, in that Matthew passage. And this idea of fulfilling, uh, the root word uh, pleurosai, Strong's number 4137, uh, to play, is rooted in the, gr- the Greek word pleuroo, if I'm correct, the verb, to fill up or to bring to its fullest uh, completion, that is to um, uh, bring to the goal or to to fill up or to summarize. So the whole law is somehow summarized to fulfilled in the single commandment to love our neighbor as ourselves. How is that possible? All right, let's read my commentary. Paul says, for, I say, firstly, in stating that the entire Torah is fulfilled in a single command, Paul actually follows in a tradition that's not uncommon among Jews of his day, a tradition that Yeshua himself seems to have also followed. And uh, recall that when questioned about the greatest commandment, Yeshua actually stated that to love God was the greatest, and that a second was like unto it, love thy neighbor as thyself, right? Love your neighbor as yourself. That's the second commandment that we're reading about here. And so Yeshua goes on to explain, when he was questioned, he goes on to explain that that on these two hang right? The entire law and the prophets, i.e. the fulfillment or summary of the law and the prophets are these two commandments themselves. Go back and read Matthew 22, verse 36 through 44, the recalling of that story that I'm mentioning. In my notes near the bottom of page 165, here's what I have to say. Tim Haig and David H. Stern remind us that the Babylonian Talmud 
contains a well-known passage about Micah, Isaiah, Amos, and Habakkuk, summarizing the Torah commands, distilling them down to a few and eventually even one command. Look at footnote number 156, and I reference Tim Haig, A Study of Galatians, page 193, as well as David H. Stern's Jewish New Testament commentary, uh, Galatians 514, uh, page 565. And you can look at that as well. It's a really interesting quote that Yeshua is following in the tradition. So Paul seems to kind of be doing the same concept here. Fulfillment of the Torah or the distillation of the Torah. It all boils down to this if we were to use modern vernacular. But I go on to say near the top of page 166 in my notes, is Paul saying that the rest of the Torah is irrelevant and that we need only focus on this single command to love our neighbors? Right? I've heard it taught that way in some Christian um, uh, circles. Of course, it isn't really taught that way in Jewish circles, um, in, in circles where there's this high respect for Torah and, and instead of this kind of a low respect for, for uh, at least the first five books of Moses. You know, is this what Paul's teaching? That, hey, you know what, Gentile Christians, you know, I'm speaking as if I'm Paul. Hey, you guys, don't worry about this circumcision. Don't worry about Torah keeping. Don't worry about uh, Sabbath and kosher and all the festivals and all that other stuff. You know what? All of the commandment, all the Torah is summarized in loving your neighbor. As long as you love your neighbor, you're good to go. You're hunky-dory. Don't worry about all the musha. Don't worry about um, purity laws. Don't worry about tzitzi. Don't worry about mezuzot. Don't worry about bringing sacrifices. All of that is moot. It's done away with. It's all washed away. As long as you love your neighbor, you're good to go, right? Just love your neighbor. You're okay. Is that what Paul's teaching here? I say in my notes here, this can hardly be the correct interpretation, for indeed this would mean that Paul himself has actually just overthrown the greatest commandment stated by Yeshua above to be love for God with our neighbor coming in as a close second. Did you catch that? So if Paul is saying that all we need to do is love our neighbor, well then what about the first commandment that Yeshua mentioned, which is love God with all your heart, soul, and strength, which of course is the Shema, right? Deuteronomy 6, verse 4 and 5. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with soul, and your might. What about the first commandment? If Paul is saying that all we need is the second commandment, which is love your neighbor as yourself, which is found in the book of Leviticus, then what about the first one? Did Paul just uproot Yeshua's words? If he did, then he's not a very good disciple. Wouldn't you agree he's not a very good student of the Master? All right, let's read what my answer is. I think it's fair to say that if we were to actually corner your average uh, church pastor and ask them to state outright that they believe Paul to be uprooting all of Torah, save this one commandment, that they would not hold that opinion. And uh, to be fair, that's that's true, right? Let's give them that um, the, the benefit of that doubt. Therefore, since we know that Paul is actually not uprooting Torah here, we know that's not what he's saying when he says all of the Torah is, is fulfilled or summed up in this one commandment to love your neighbor. Since we know that's not what Paul's doing, we must confess that he's actually simply helping his readers, his Gentile readers, to understand that the law's priorities, the Torah's priorities about genuine spirit-filled love, recall uh, Ezekiel 36:27 again, right? Spirit-filled love for God that actually works itself out in maintaining control over our own sinful propensities all the while nurturing within us an unselfish love for those around us. Did you catch that? It's so important. God's Spirit is actually what in 
enables us not only to walk out Torah, but to actually maintain control over our own sinful flesh. It's only by the power of the Spirit that we will... Um, that we can say no to the flesh, that we can say no to our old natures, that I can say no to the old Ariel, the old ways of Ariel that 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 are so uh, sometimes vivid in my mind, uh, the, you know, my lifestyle before I became a believer, the old habits, my old my old hangouts, my old um, um, what do we say, uh, my old weaknesses, right? I got to say no to all that stuff because it's an enemy to my it's an enemy to my soul. We read about in the book of Peter, right? It's an enemy to our soul. Let's keep reading my commentary. We're actually almost done here. So verse 16 says, Paul says, but, but I say, walk by the Spirit. Here it is. Here's the answer to overcoming the flesh. Here's the, the answer, the solution to being, to being righteous by God's uh, reckoning, to becoming a, a light to the surrounding nations like we read about in the book of Deuteronomy, to actually walking into Torah itself. Here is the solution. Paul gives it to us. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. There it is. There's our answer. Paul doesn't say, but I say, become circumcised in the flesh, and you'll not gratify the desires of the flesh. That's not what Paul says. He doesn't say, but I say, become a, an ethnically recognized Jew, and you'll not gratify the desires of the flesh. That's not what Paul says. He doesn't say, but I say, keep 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 Torah as best as you can, keep the minutiae, keep the festivals, keep the, 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 the Sabbaths, keep kosher, wear, a, wear the tzitzit, you know, put a mezuzah on your door and you'll not gratify the desires of flesh. That's not what Paul says. As important as all those other things are, right, Jewish identity, Jewish ethnicity, uh, the festivals, the Sabbaths, keeping kosher, mezuzah, tzitzit, all of those things are important, right? They're valuable, but that's not what helps us to put off the flesh, to say no to the old man, to say no to the old nature. It's only by walking by the Spirit can we uh, ever hope to be pleasing to God on, a, on an ongoing basis and not gratify the desires of flesh. Here's what I have to say in my commentary. This verse is such a wonderful promise for us as believers, both Jew and Gentile, in Yeshua. Omain, Omain. What is more... In my opinion, it is so practical and easy to understand that it is incomprehensible why more Christians, why more believers are not following its rich spiritual truth. Let's be honest, people. Most of us as believers, and I'm putting myself in this camp as the guilty as well, we simply do not avail ourselves of the power of the Spirit the way we ought to. We coast too often, right? The Spirit gives us this boost as we press in and we, 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 we encounter breakthroughs in the Spirit, and then instead of continuing in our walk in the Spirit, what do we do? We kind of coast under our own power, not realizing that um, the Spirit is actually just kind of taking a, a side seat a, a, um, or a back seat sometimes to the actions in our lives. And instead, Paul commands us, he's going to go on to command us, command us in the book of Ephesians, to not to be drunk with wine, to be, but to be filled with the Spirit. It's a commandment, people. It's an, it's an imperative, right? It's not an option as a believer to be filled with the Spirit. It is a command, just like it is right here. Paul says, I'll walk by the Spirit. This is a command. This is as much a command, I say this to my Messianic brothers and sisters, this is as much a command as the commandment to wear tzitzit, as the commandment to sanctify the Torah, as the commandment to walk into the festivals, as the commandment to keep kosher. This is as much a commandment from God 
as those other things are. And yet we in the Messianic movement spend so much time focusing on keeping Sabbath, keeping... Uh, wow, sorry about that. Big uh, shot of uh, lightning and thunder outside my window here. Um, we spend so much time... Maybe that's a bot call, right? Confirming what I'm saying. Amen? Amen. Um, we, we in the Messianic movement, unfortunately, spend so much time and effort sometimes trying to focus on... How, are my seat seat tied correctly? Is is it the toilet the right color of blue? You know, am I keeping the Sabbath correctly? Uh, uh, you know, uh, is my mezuzah angled just right in my doorway? Uh, is my kippah placed on my head just correctly? You know, how, how about my kosher keeping it? Is there a hexer on that label? You know, did I did I mix my milk and my meat? Did I did I steer clear of any shellfish and pork this weekend? Uh, or this week, you know, we focus so much on those things sometimes. And again, don't get me wrong; it's not wrong to 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 to, to be concerned with those those aspects of Torah observance. But the point I'm trying to make, people, is this: walking by the Spirit, Galatians five sixteen, being filled with the Spirit, Ephesians um, chapter five. I can't remember the exact verse number, but Ephesians chapter five, uh, being filled with the Spirit. These are commands as well, and they're and in my opinion, they're actually weightier commands. So let's read my commentary, right? If we are to be obedient to God's ways and love our neighbor like Paul says, like we ought to, then we have to live by the Spirit so that we can allow God to empower us to subjugate our stubborn flesh. There's no way around it. There's no way around it. This is what we have to do. Paul has stated this very same principle elsewhere in his writings. Let's read about this idea of, of the flesh and the spirit and our, our responsibility to one another in the book of Romans chapter 8, verses 12 through 14. This is such a wonderful passage. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. Speaking to believers here, both Jews and Gentiles in Messiah, right? Um... Uh, Paul goes on to say, uh, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. You'll be devoured. Uh, like he says uh, earlier in the book of Galatians here. For all, I'm sorry, but if we live by the Spirit, you put to death the deeds of the body. You will live. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God, Paul says in Romans there. All who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. That's Romans 8, 12 through 14 through the ESV. We're almost done here, people. We just got one more verse here, so stick with me. Probably another, I'll see if I can wrap this up in 10 minutes, okay? I say in my commentary, to live by the Spirit means to walk by the Spirit. They're, they're synonymous terms. Live by the Spirit, walk by the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit is, is the same concept of, of being saturated, being 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 over. Over, uh, uh, over, overrun or overempowered or overflowing with the Spirit. Um, it's to be filled with the Spirit. Let's keep talking about... We're going we're gonna, to um, talk more about Spirit filling below when we get to um, uh, verse 18 in my commentary. We're going to take a whole section and just talk about being filled with the Spirit here. But for now, let's look at verse 17 of Galatians chapter 5. Paul says, quote, for the desires of the flesh, right? He's contrasting the life of the spirit for a believer and the life, your old life of the flesh or the life of a believer as he's failing to uh, 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 walk by the spirit. Although he's a believer, sometimes he doesn't yield to the spirit the way he should. So notice the contrast Paul is talking about. The desires of the flesh are against the spirit. And this is true whether you're a believer or an unbeliever. 
It's just that when you're a believer, you're aware of the presence of the Spirit because he's taking up residence within you. Versus when you're an unbeliever, there's no awareness of the Spirit because he isn't active in your life. And therefore, basically your whole life is controlled by yourself. You're, you're, you're an old man. You're dead in your trespasses and sin, Paul would say. So he says in verse 17, the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh, right? There's this opposition, they're at enmity. For these are opposed to each other to keep you, the believer, from doing the things you want to do. End quote. All right, let's talk about this. We could, we could just spend all day on, on verses like this, but I don't have time right now. You're going to have to go back and read passages like this and correspond them to the passages in Romans on your own. Here's what I have to say in my comment to verse 17. Like verse 16, this verse 2 finds a parallel in Paul's other writings. So let's uh, pick up a parallel. Um, Verse uh, 17 of Galatians chapter 5 finds a parallel in Romans 7, 15-23. Let's read it, this longer quote from the ESV. We're near the bottom of page 166, top of page 167 in my notes here. For I do not understand my own actions, right? This is Paul kind of musing to himself. For I do not do what I want, right? As a believer, sometimes I've got this conflict, this this kind of cognitive dissonance going on within me. I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good, Paul says. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. Sounds schizophrenic, but you, you've got to actually go back and read this in context if you care to understand what Paul's even talking about here. But let's keep reading. Top of page 167. Paul says in Romans chapter 7, For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry out. Isn't that interesting? He has the desire to do what's right, but his flesh is holding him back. What's the solution? If Paul were to actually go back and read, if he's gonna, if if we would go back and read what he wrote in Roman in, Gen, in uh, Galatians chapter five, he, he would know the answer to his own question. Of course, he uh, I'm being facetious. He already knows the answer, but for the sake of his dialogue here, his self dialogue, um, he's going to just explain how many of us feel as believers. Right? Sometimes we feel like we know what is the right thing to do. We even have the desire to do it, but sometimes we don't have the ability to do it. Um, I do not the good that I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing, right? Sometimes he could be just, in a sense, he could be describing uh, parts of what it's like to be an unbeliever or parts of what it's like to be a believer, right? It's a little bit of gray going on there. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, Evil lies close at hand. And again, unbelievers seek to do the right thing, as well as believers seeking to do the right thing. The big difference between the two is that on a genuine and lasting level, only believers can do the right thing because only they have been empowered by the Spirit to actually do the right thing. Unbelievers can do the right thing from time to time, but ultimately it will prove to be self-serving because there's no spiritual fruit uh, that can be had. You can't have spiritual fruit unless you have the Spirit. Therefore, an unbeliever can never have the fruit of the Spirit because there isn't any Spirit that has taken up residence within him. 
he can he'll have fleshly fruit and and sometimes it resembles spiritual fruit right it's kind of a counterfeit but let's keep reading so paul says i find it to be a law that when i want to do right evil lies close at hand for i delight in the law of god in my inner being but i see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members end quote and i think that paul is actually describing his life as a believer with with echoes or sentiments of what it what he remembers what it was like when he was an unbeliever seeking to 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 do the right thing so i think there's a little bit of both uh, that are flowing back and forth in this passage so i've heard people say ariel do you think romans chapter 7 is describing his life as a believer or as an unbeliever and i say yes he's actually describing both uh, he's he's he is a believer. He's writing from the vantage point of a believer who knows now that the Spirit is enabling him to walk according to God's ways, and he knows that there's a battle that's going on inside of him between the flesh and the Spirit. He can only know that be, as a believer, but at the same time, he still has memories of what it was like when he was an unbeliever, although one who was blinded to his own uh, spiritual uh, deficiency, one who thought that he was blameless and righteous, albeit it was self-righteousness. You guys understand what I'm saying? So, I go on to conclude in my commentary, all right? Like the Romans passage quoted above that we read about uh, uh, both times, Paul would have us understand here in Galatians chapter 5, verse 17, that once a person surrenders to Yeshua, whether he's Jew or Gentile, doesn't matter, a war between his old nature and the new nature starts. That's when it begins. When you surrender to Yeshua and the Spirit takes up residence within you, like we read about in, in uh, uh, Ezekiel 36, 27, when the Spirit comes within you, that's when the battle starts. And the flesh battles the Spirit and the Spirit battles the flesh. Such a contest might lead one to despair and wonder if there will ever be victory for the child of God in Christ this side of heaven if this is the way it is going to be from now on, right? I don't know if you've ever been that in that place, but I have before, where sometimes, some, some days it seems the battle is more than I can handle. And I just throw my hands up in desperation and say, God, if, it's, if this is the way it's supposed to be, why did you even save me? Why, why are you even keeping me around? Just take me home now. I can't, you know, I, I can't handle it. And, and sometimes I feel like I'm stressed beyond uh, relief. So I go on to say in my commentary, but Paul already gave us the answer to the dilemma of dealing with our stubborn flesh. And it's not about doing penance. It's not about endlessly saying prayers and rituals and rosary, you know, thumbing through rosaries and beads and, and saying mantras. And, and, and it's not about even attending church on an endless basis or, or going to youth group after youth group. It's not about memorizing passage after passage. It, it's not really about something external so much as Paul gives us the answer to the dilemma. What is it? Live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful flesh. So there is a practicality to it. I'm not saying that Paul's suggesting that living by the Spirit means you need to find yourself a very quiet place, park yourself in the lotus position with your palms raised to the ceiling, your eyes closed, your head tilted back, and you just say, no, that's not what Paul's talking about, right? He's not talking about some metaphysical uh, uh, spiritual life where where we, we drift in and out of consciousness and we dwell on spiritual things, right? That's not what I mean at all. Living by the Spirit is a, is a practical day-by-day activity. There's a walk to it. So let's, 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 let's uh, talk about that real quick. Um, 
Uh, let's see if we can come full circle. Live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of, of sinful nature. As believers, all right, listen up. This is, I'm bringing this, this airplane to a landing, right? I'm trying to draw my commentary to a close and, and finish up tonight. As believers, we need not despair as long as we remain firmly rooted in Christ. That's part of living by the Spirit. To be sure, Galatians 5.14, which we started out with tonight, right, 13 and 14, in that passage, what does Paul say? Let's go back and read it real quick. Galatians 5.14, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word. What is that one word? You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Well, Ariel, what does that have to do with living by the Spirit? Listen up very carefully. In Galatians 5.14, Paul conveys the concept of fulfilling the Torah by commending us to love our neighbor as ourselves. And then in Romans, like we read in the two passages there, Paul equates the concept of fulfilling the Torah with walking according to the Spirit. Here in Romans 8, 3 and 4 out of the ESV, For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh. There's that stubborn sinfulness again. He condemned it in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do what? Who walk not according to flesh, but according to the Spirit. End quote. So basically, the way I see it is, Paul is commending us to to fulfill the righteous requirement of the Torah by doing what? By loving our neighbor as ourself. By loving our neighbor as ourself, like we read about in um, in the Galatians passage. So in Galatians, we are to love our neighbor as ourself. This is verse 14. The whole law is fulfilled in one word, loving our neighbor as ourself. But according to um, Romans 8, we fulfill the law, the righteous requirement of the law, by walking according to the Spirit. And the walk according to the Spirit is exactly what Paul says in verse 16, walk by the Spirit and you'll not gratify the desires of the flesh. So the way I see it, the whole law being fulfilled, that's the first concept. Loving your neighbor as yourself, that's the second concept. And walking according to the Spirit, that's the third concept. All three of these concepts are bound up together in the mind of Paul. Fulfilling the Torah, loving your neighbor, and walking according to the Spirit. So the final sentence in my commentary tonight, and we'll close with this, is, isn't it fantastic how the Word of God fits perfectly together in all of its parts? Amen? Amen. We'll stop there. Let's close in prayer. Abba, I bless your name, and I thank you for sending your Son who has sent his spirit to dwell within us according to the promises that you've made to the fathers. We know that as we read through the book of Ezekiel, chapter 36, where we read about God sending his spirit upon Israel in the last days so that they would uh, uh, have a heart of flesh and they would would walk in his ways. We know that that's a promise that for corporate Israel still yet to pass. But Ezekiel 36, 27 is something that has already come true for those of us in the now. Because the the eschatological salvation of the of the last days of, for corporate Israel has broken into the present days, into the these current days that we live in, and indeed uh, they were present in Paul's days as well. So Paul knew in a in a kind of a, a now but not yet type of way that the spilling, fill, filling of the Spirit was avail, something that was available to each and every single 
person who surrenders to the power and the, the, the atonement of Yeshua, the Messiah. Now, now you can be filled with the Spirit. Now you can enjoy the fellowship of the Spirit. Now you can begin to walk in the power of the Ruach HaKodesh. You don't have to wait until eschatological Israel uh, experiences it according to Ezekiel 36.27. You can experience it now, right now is the day of salvation. And so thank you, Lord, that we as Jew and Gentile who have surrendered to the name of Yeshua, that we name the name of Yeshua as Messiah, we today now enjoy the fellowship of the Spirit, and we can we can look forward to the surrendering uh, uh, to the Spirit and walking according to fulfilling the Torah, not keeping the Torah under our own power, but walking according to uh, the power of the Spirit, which is in fact the fulfillment of the Torah, which is what helps us to subjugate the stubborn flesh, flesh, and enables us to be able to love our neighbor as ourselves. In fact. And bringing it full circle to the passage that we read about in the book of Deuteronomy earlier, where where Moshe describes uh, the 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 surrounding peoples observing Israel's uh, laws and observing Israel's gods and and commenting how righteous these people are and how how close they are to their God when when they call upon Him. We can now understand from a messianic perspective from from the fulfillment perspective that that only as Israel is walking and being filled by the spirit will they actually be the true light to the surrounding nations like they were called to be only then can they truly make an effect uh uh in the communities and the lives of not only themselves but in the people around them only by the spirit can they actually truly fulfill the commandment to love their neighbor as himself and actually be uh pleasing to God as they love God with all their heart soul and strength so thank you lord for these wonderful truths that are that are pertinent for us right here in the book of Galatians, uh, give us a heart to continue to study and to press in. Forgive us where we fail you. Uh, raise us up and strengthen us as families. Continue to protect us and give us a voice and an opportunity to witness. And we'll be careful to give you the praise and the glory. B'Shem Yeshua. Amen. That concludes our show for today. It is my desire that this continuing series of teachings will assist the average non-Jewish believer or new Messianic Jewish believer in his desire to become a more mature child of God. And now, O Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to observe the Lord's commands and decrees that I am giving you today for your own good. To the Lord your God belong the heavens, even the highest heavens, the earth, and everything in it. Yet the Lord set his affection on your forefathers and loved them, and he chose you, their descendants, above all the nations as it is today. Circumcise your hearts, therefore, and do not be stiff-necked any longer. Because the Torah is written on the hearts of all who truly name the name of Yeshua as Lord and Savior, it is meant to be followed to the best of our ability. We have no reason for fear of condemnation or the trappings of legalism. My name is Ariel ben Lyman Hanavi. The intro and outro song were written, produced, and performed by Ryan Kingsley. For more information on contacting Ryan, you can reach me by email at yeshua613 at hotmail.com. That's Y-E-S-H-U-A number 613 at hotmail.com. 
or visit our website at graftedin.com. That's graftedin.com.